Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Courage Conversation Show. I'm your host, Ashley Easter. I'm the founder and executive director of Courage 365, and we have a great show planned for you tonight. Elena Ramsey is here with us, and I met Elena... I don't know, when I pull her on the screen, we'll have to talk about that. It was several years ago through the Red Letter Christian organization doing justice work and kind of um, seeing the way that she's leading within that movement. And she also does a lot of other really powerful things, activist work. She's a survivor herself. And so I'm just going to really quickly um, read her bio just so you can get to know her a little bit more before we bring her on screen. So Elena Ramsey she, her, uh, serves as the executive director of the Ohio Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. With over a decade of advocacy, grassroots organizing, and communications experience in faith and politics, Elena loves listening to people's stories and engaging communities for social change. She holds master's degree in both theological studies and international peace and conflict resolution. A former fundamentalist evangelical, uh, Elena practices compassionate care as a pro-faith, pro-family, pro-choice Christian. In 2021, Elena was honored by the United Church of Christ with a Movement Maker Award for her pastoral and prophetic work in advancing religious and reproductive freedom. So without further ado, let me invite Elena onto the show. Hey, Elena, thanks so much for being here. Wonderful to be here with you, Ashley. Thank you for having me. Oh, it is such an honor to speak with you. And I was trying to think what year we first met. Was it maybe 2016? I'm trying to think. Definitely shortly after. Yes. Um, Yes, it's been a minute. but It uh, has been. Yes, (laughs) yes. And I'm just continually inspired by the work that you're doing. I feel like you pop up in so many different places. Like when I was researching questions for this conversation, I was seeing you uh, like, all the different articles you've written about and different campaigns and organizations you're involved in. And I just, I love that activist spirit about you. And um, I knew I needed to bring you on the show because you have such a deep compassion and care for survivors. Um, And I also know that you are a survivor yourself. And before this interview, we had chatted just briefly about you sharing a little bit of your story as you feel comfortable. Um, So for everybody watching, you know, we're going to be talking a little bit about some sensitive topics, but we're going to do it with care and gentleness. Um, But Elena, I was wondering, would you just kind of help everybody get to know you a little bit, share a bit about your story and what maybe was the thing that transformed you into this beautiful activist that you are today? Well, you know, Thanks for having me here to share a little bit about my story and journey, because Ashley, you are someone that I just um, absolutely respect and admire, Mm. and I find such a kinship with you, um, particularly your journey, because it resonates so much uh, with mine. I mean, very different, of course, but the fact that, you know, I grew up in um, pretty fundamentalist spaces, which at the Mm. time I didn't realize, and... um, so when I hear you talk about your experiences, um, unfortunately, it, it's so common, you know, especially in religious spaces. And um, that is where, of course, then becomes ripe for abuse. 
Mm-hmm. And that, that was my experience. You know, I ended up, um, you know, serving and um, leading with some churches that um, that's all I knew. And I didn't realize how toxic and controlling um, it was, you know, to be in environments where you know, I was told what to think and believe and not to be allowed to question. And if you did dare to question, then you were somehow seen as less than. So, you know, I grew up in an environment where, you know, had a very narrow understanding of the Bible and told me as a woman that I had to submit, you know, mm. to men and uh, my future husband and that my goal uh, and worth in life was to get married, have babies and follow after the will of my spouse. And, and you know, I really internalized so much of that because, again, I believe these authority figures in my life. And, I, you know, I did all the right things and I subscribed to a purity theology that really focused a lot on, you know, one's body and being modest right. and um, not having sex before marriage and just, you know, remaining pure and sinless. Um, and again, I look back at it, I'm like, those were always about one's body, one's reproduction, uh, and definitely not about other things that, of course, could be named as sinful. Um, you know, when you think about racism and homophobia and right. whatnot. So anyways, um, it's just, it's been a journey for me, you know, and for me, my awakening really happened, um, you know, unfortunately, of course, through my experience um, as a rape survivor. Mm. Uh, my first sexual experience was with a Christian um, mm. who, who violated my body and my sense of self. And that happened my last semester of college. And I walked away from that community and that season of my life, just absolutely broken and feeling like I had no worth that, um, that I had done something that was completely unforgivable. And I didn't feel safe talking about it with my community because again, I had absolutely internalized that it was my fault. And um, it has taken many, many years for me to come to a place where I, you know, I can speak about that um, and, and heal. And, but it has absolutely empowered me to be an activist, particularly in safe spaces, because I recognize just how harmful um, these teachings can be. Yeah. And, you know, it's taken me to seminary and working in other faith-based spaces for me to help deconstruct all those toxic things that I had learned and to then become an activist that offers a different way of looking at scripture and, um, and to be a, a person that, you know, really recognizes the power that um, we all have to offer and how much of a responsibility that is as well mm. and so that has been yeah why I, you end up seeing me in different spaces talking about uh faith and politics toxic theology uh, because it's so intertwined and especially you know when we look at our institutions of control 
And those are, you know, religious spaces. Those are political spaces. And uh, I have made it my mission to, to help transform that so that other survivors, you know, do not have to feel alone and that other generations don't have to grow up in that kind of upbringing. Wow, that is so powerful. And I am so sorry for everything that you've had to suffer. And also, I'm so thankful for your courage. We talk a lot about that here and the way you came to a place where you value yourself and you value your healing journey. And that is such a beautiful thing. And then now you're, you're turning this as an opportunity to help other people in a similar situation and in no way, shape or form by saying that it was, you know, worth it or anything like that, because there's, there's no excuse or, um, bright side to experiencing abuse and trauma. And also you've just really developed this way of being in the world that is so supportive to so many people who've gone through painful things. And I just see that activist spirit in you and it's, it's beautiful. It's inspiring and so resilient. So thank you for being willing to share that with us today. Um, and then I wanted to ask you a little bit, as you were talking about kind of deconstructing and some of our audience, they identify as Christian, some are more conservative, some are more progressive. Um, some people are of a different faith that's not Christian, some are atheist, agnostic. But I think one thing that can be really um, helpful for us is most of us are bonding from a place of like, wherever we are in our journey right now, most of our audience here has come from a place where there's been some toxic religious angles um, mm -hmm. to the abuse we experienced. Um, and so I wondered if you could talk about some of the things that you're noticing or have noticed in the past that can contribute to the suffering of abuse survivors, toxic ideologies and theologies. You mentioned purity culture, which is a big one. And we just had Linda K. Klein on the show a couple weeks ago, and she dove so deep into that. So I'm so glad you brought that up again. That's kind of just the confirmation that we're on the right path with these discussions. But, you know, maybe whether it is the plight of women within faith environments, patriarchy, whether it is the way women of color, men of color, those um, who are gender, you know, non-binary, how people of color are treated in these movements and how that can contribute to um, abuse and toxicity and not being supported when someone comes forward with abuse or just any of the patterns that you're noticing that um, you'd maybe like to bring forward as, as something that, that we can be aware of whether we choose to stay in a faith community or not, that, that these things are not okay. And, you know, just kind of dissecting a little bit of kind of how we got here, you know, with uh, survivors not being supported in these communities. Yes. Oh, so glad you brought up <laughs> you brought Linda to your show. Yeah. Purity uh, culture is so insidious. And, you know, that's something I was dealing with in college like 20 years ago right and it's still around today and it's so pervasive because we have um goodness so many churches and religious spaces that teaches that ideology that you know to be whole to be pure means that your body 
have to look a certain way. Mm. You, know, you have to be a certain way, your own sexuality, your orientation, which is, of course, very hetero, very cisgendered emphasis for relationships, you know, like the only pure relationships are hetero ones. And that is such a red flag, you know, like when we talk about these patterns of abuse, um, it's just recognizing when you've been taught something that is just so narrow and um, does not leave room for other experiences, you know, that there are, there are families and loving relationships that are not hetero. And uh, for me, that was one of the, you know, first red flags of just mm. recognizing, wow, wow, we have such a narrow understanding of, um, you know, sexuality and then which relationships are valid. And right. then how those relationships are practiced. Um, yeah. Then you get into the complementarian and egalitarian um, worldviews, you know. Um, egalitarian, of course, teaches that women, men, all genders are equal and one and the same. And, you know, despite their, do not have roles that subscribe them to particular ways of being. Whereas complementarianism, um, I know you've talked a lot about and taught so much good work to deconstruct that. That is um, a very narrow understanding that women, specifically cis women, have a very um, you know narrow way that they're supposed to to act. You know, when I was talking about babies and um, getting married and submitting to one's um, husband, right? Husband. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's complementarianism, and um, that creates this this rape culture frankly in our in our churches because that was very much my experience and I've heard a lot of other church survivors um, describe it the same way that when you've been taught that there's just this one way of being and then if anything goes outside of that then you're looked at as um, you know that's your fault that you are right. otherized and less than and um, it is so incredibly harmful what we are doing to those in our pews and outside our pews. Like, no wonder mm -hmm. people are leaving the church. I don't blame them, frankly. Um, and I, I have a deep respect and regard for those who want to stay in the church, who want to transform it, and also honor those who want to focus on their healing and put up mm -hmm. a boundary and say that they will not be a part of church communities. Right. Healing um, comes in so many different shapes for different people. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. Wow. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, that's, that's really helpful discussion. And I think, I think what a lot of people haven't, seen maybe until recently is that, you know, experiencing rape culture and abuse within religious communities. And in this context, we're talking about Christianity, but it is across the board in all faith communities, um, that it isn't just a few bad actors. Um, it's actually a culture that's created where belief systems are put in place and rules are put in place that are actually attracting dangerous people and excusing dangerous people. And we've got to be mindful of, you know, talking, talking about those things, whether it is 
patriarchy, whether it is purity culture, whether it is racism, whether it is homophobia, whether it is ableism, all of those things. Um, and just realizing that it's, it's not just something that just happened, you know, it's, it's a deeply rooted issue. Um, and I know that in a lot of your work in, in deconstructing and kind of looking at these issues, the idea of choice has come up for you and you've kind of really focused on this idea of choice for women. And then I want to maybe focus on that. Um, for a few minutes around abuse survivors. And what kind of brought you to this idea of choice being so important for abuse survivors? Why is it important? What does choice mean? Um, because I think it's a, a broad term and just what, I, I feel like what I've looked at your work, that's something that I've kind of pulled out is like one of your key messages is um, with, patriarchy, with racism, with sexism, with homophobia, you know, that is putting people in boxes that they don't have a choice for. Um, same with abuse. And so can you just talk to us about choice and how that comes together with the survivor experience? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, I have to say that nothing is more sacred than one's choice, mm -hmm. one's agency in yeah. bodily autonomy. Um, you know, I came into working predominantly, you know, women's rights, specifically against, um, you know, advocating against violence against women and upholding reproductive health rights and justice uh, because of my experience mm -hmm. as a rape survivor. Um, I know what it's like to have someone's will be forced upon me. Right. And I don't want that for anyone else. And that coercion happens on so many levels. Um, we see it in the ways that women and other queer folks are silenced in church spaces and beyond. Um, we see it in the coercion of um, women's bodies and pregnant people. You know, mm -hmm. I do a lot of work on abortion rights and that's mm -hmm. because I believe so much in bodily autonomy that you know one should not be coerced and forced into birth and that reproductive coercion just happens over and over again by the ways mm -hmm. that we dictate, um, you know, whether someone should have access to birth control and when and how they get pregnant and build mm -hmm. their families. And so it all comes back to choice for me because that agency, you know, was mm -hmm. taken away from me yeah. and uh, there is ah, few things more beautiful than people finding their voice yeah. and learning to advocate for themselves. And part of that is reclaiming one's mm. voice and one's choice and agency. Um, and so it's just, it's so central to who yeah. we are, you know, whether you're a person of faith or not, you know, to believe that someone um, has human dignity and free will to decide right. how to live their lives, who they love, what they do with their bodies, and the state should not have control over that, and mm. certainly not the church. Right. So that is, uh, choice is everything. Mm. It's, it's what makes us human. And to strip people's dignity of that by denying them their choice and free mm. will is just, um, 
outrageous. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think closely tied with choice is consent. Um, yeah. And I would love to hear your thoughts on this, but I sort of see consent as like, um, not, not passive, maybe the wrong word, but like passive in that, like you're allowing something, whereas choice is maybe more the active form of that word where you're like pursuing something. Uh, I don't know, but I, I would love to hear your thoughts about kind of the, the similarities between consent and choice, if there's differences, how they work and play mm -hmm. together. If you have any thoughts, just as you were speaking about, you know, autonomy, choice, I was just thinking consent and they're, they're similar, but they're not quite the same. And I'd love to hear maybe your Ooh. piecing together of that. Ooh, wow. You got me thinking here, because <laughs> in some ways I think they are one and the same. You cannot have um, choice without that active consent. So, mm. you know, someone really being able to say yes to something right. actively. Um, I mean, I guess I look at it the other way. The consent is the active mm, part. Um, got it. It does come down to that because there are many choices, there are many options, but in some ways um, they can be false choices for got people it. who may not, um, you know, because of circumstances, may not be able to use their full, full range of choices or options. Right. So, and when I think about reproductive rights, um, um, not everyone can decide what kind of future they want whether to raise a family mm. or not because you know they, they may be experiencing um, you know uh, food insecurity you know homelessness and a variety of other um, systemic issues that then negates one's choice and so right um, yeah but they are one the same and, and the fact that yeah one needs to be able to consent mm. um, especially when it comes to your body and the way that um, the decisions you get to actively make in your life um, it is is so central so that's some good food for thought I'm gonna have to chew on mm. that a little bit more because yeah consent uh, we teach that so much in our work right I mean yeah if it's not then it's just coercion and exactly. um, those are some of the ugly truths that mm. Uh, end up happening in our faith right. spaces and um and oh gosh no yeah <laughs> right that. Oh. that makes a lot of sense and kind of what you're saying um about i don't remember exactly how you worded it but like not all choices are options for people mm -hmm. and certain choices are kind of uh, and it just made me think of the term bounded choice that um i have heard a lot particularly around um i think i first heard the term as i was coming out as a stay-at-home daughter and leaving that stay-at-home daughter movement and how somebody can put in front of you two choices but you know obviously there are natural consequences to any choice that you make but then there's sometimes punishments for a choice that you make, which are not natural con consequences, but are enforced by other people. And so, for instance, um, you know, on one hand, it would be like, well, it's your choice to be a stay-at-home daughter and submit to your father till he gives you away in marriage to another man to submit to. And on one hand, it looks like you have that free will choice, but the choice to leave that could mean that you are cut off from your whole community, which could also mean that you don't have 
money, job security, food, shelter, um, education, those kinds of things. And so while I guess it's technically a choice, it's a bounded choice and that one is coming with not just natural consequences, but also with a punishment if you choose the quote unquote wrong choice. And I've, I've seen that kind of thing play out for survivors so many times, you know, working with like child marriage survivors as well. Um, and just the things that have been forced upon them, uh, even the way our laws are formed and shaped. Um, a lot of times it's again, kind of a, a bounded choice situation where it's not a true free choice where you can choose either one of these things. It's really a pressure to choose one way. And that doesn't seem like informed free consent. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just think it's so interesting how consent and choice play into each other. And um, yeah, this is a this is a good conversation and you're getting my wheels spinning and turning and I'm just thinking about these from new angles. And so, yeah, thank you for sharing your wisdom on all of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I wanted to ask you, because you're such an advocate of people choosing their destiny, what are some of your top suggestions for survivors to kind of reclaim that autonomy, to reclaim that choice? And maybe secondarily, what are some ways that advocates and people who want to support survivors can really get behind survivors being able to make those choices? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a huge healing journey. You know, it's a big mm-hmm. question about how do you, how do you get uh, to a place of, continual healing because I feel like, you know, I'm always in recovery, but I think a lot of it starts with, um, recognizing that it's not your fault. Mm. Naming that, um, at least for me, it was incredibly powerful. Um, finally getting language around it and just being able to recognize that because again, um, everything that, I was taught and internalized and all these bounded choices um, really led to to, uh, the situation where then I blame myself Mm. and uh, you see it all the time and you see Mm. in this rape culture where people say, oh, because they were wearing this or they were drinking or they were in the wrong place. And at the end of the day, no, it has nothing to do with that and all about the onus is on the other person. and their violation of you so starting just recognizing how healing that is that it's not one's fault Mm -hmm. and then finding can i stop uh, you right there because that is just so good it just had this thought through my mind it's like before you can take your choice back you have to realize when your choice was taken away so you can know the difference and put off that guilt and be able to realize when you actually were at cause and when you were not is that kind of what you're saying oh absolutely yeah is that shame it's powerful, mm. but it's not yeah. what you did. I mean, it's right. not a, right. It does not define you yeah. uh, by any means. And um, then, yes, you get to consent and reclaim your power and move forward um, bit by bit. Mm. You know, the healing journey is yeah. never just yeah. linear. Um, but part of um, finding that power, again, mm. um, comes with, again, recognizing, you know, it's not your fault. And then I, I, I feel like it's, that comes recognizing that you're not alone. You know, mm-hmm. the more that we tell our stories 
what I love about your work, Ashley, because the more you tell your stories, the more you give permission mm-hmm. for people to recognize that they're not alone, that there is a community, people mm-hmm. out there who have experienced the same stigma and shame and controlling yeah. behaviors and toxic theologies. And that helps people begin to heal and deconstruct. Mm. And then, um, then I find that you can begin to trust your voice again, begin mm. to trust yourself. Um, because it's so layered, you know, getting to a place where you can um, recognize again that it's not your fault, then yeah. that means you have to start believing yourself. Mm. as much as you want others to believe you you have to believe in your own worth and uh, and your own agency and power to you know not let this control you though again not your fault (laughs) if you spiral and you have bad days and you get triggered because that is that is unfortunately the journey but Mm. it is beautiful when you can um, hear other stories and be in community with others, reclaim your power. And I would say for those who want to walk alongside and accompany survivors, be a trustworthy person. Mm. Be a person that someone can trust with their stories. To, yeah. that they trust you to hold that, that you would be someone who would believe them without question. Mm. That is just priceless. And you know, it sounds so simple, but we live in a culture that does not believe survivors. We see it over and over again. Um, the Me Too movement and the Church Too movement that too many women, girls, femmes are not believed. And it starts with us. It starts with um, our allies, with those who want to journey with us. They have to be accomplices. They have yeah. to actually, you know, do more than just, you know, ally with us, but be an accomplice, get into good trouble, put yourself on the line, count the cost of yeah. what it would look like for you to stand up and say that you believe someone mm-hmm. uh, because that survivor, they, they carry that burden. Be someone who carries it with them, not mm-hmm. for them. They're yeah. strong enough. They can do that, but they want and need community support mm-hmm. and that's uh yeah it's that community that will help bring so much healing and validity and credibility and support that we need we all need that in every sphere of our lives especially if you're a a survivor yeah yeah that's great so i'm just kind of like synthesizing that down and it's it's kind of like you know you first need to understand when your choice is taken away, when you've had autonomy and um, be able to kind of recognize that you deserve to have choice. And then feeling again, like you get to, you get to choose what happens next with your story, whether you share it with a small group of people or with a lot of people or whatever, like that's your choice as to how you use your story. It belongs to you. And then finding your voice again, whether that is directly related to your story or whether that's just taking back your power in other areas of life that maybe um, aren't as explicitly about, you know, the abuse that occurred. But oftentimes there's this pattern with abuse that it's not just the physical act or a one-time thing. It's often, you know, putting people's self-esteem down. And so kind of finding your voice again and your power again in every area of life. And 
Um, I love how you talked about, you know, advocates and people supporting survivors can really be that safe community holding their stories well. And another thing that came to my mind is I think sometimes a lot of people who want to be helpers can sometimes take away the choice of survivors in their attempts to help because they feel they know best. And maybe they do know technically the best way to handle a situation, but it always has to be up to the survivor as to what they feel is best for themselves in that moment and giving them the time to process through and see all their options. And so maybe even as advocates, you know, remembering that we can give information, but at the end of the day, we need to step back and allow adult survivors to make their decisions. And of course, with children, child abuse, you know, we need to report to the police and, you know, that's that's a whole different story. But um, kind of affirming that autonomy, even if the choice isn't one that we ourselves would make. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, that's a good word. And I would add, you know, let's talk about race here a little bit. Um, for advocates, I think we they have to check their white saviorism mm-hmm. yes um that happens so much you know people meanwhile they want to fix uh, any problems but at the end of the day it's not about you and um you know that is a word for you know white allies and accomplices but it's also a word for uh survivors of color because mm-hmm. it's so layered the ways that um, we are abused and oppressed and um, you know a, a lot of advocates need to come to a place where they understand more of the experiences of survivors of color that that is uh, in many ways a double oppression you know for me mm-hmm. as a woman and as um, an Asian woman a, a woman of color um, it comes with my sexuality being fetishized and mm-hmm. hypersexualized in ways that other bodies are not. And so that mm-hmm. is very common for a lot of black, brown, indigenous folks. And uh, to recognize that then, you know, we end up um, being controlled and commodified in these spaces that look at our bodies as objects. And it's a different layer, you know, I'm not, it's not a Prussian Olympics by any ways, but it is a different um, understanding of the ways that we experience abuse, you know, among survivors of color. It's mm. going to be different yeah. with the white survivors. And and it's going to be different for the ways that advocates need to engage and respect, um, especially, you know, spaces where we honor people telling their stories when they're ready. But mm. that may look like that they're only ready to sp- share those spaces with you know, black folks only or brown folks only mm-hmm. and not a mixed group. Um, so yeah, just recognizing that we live in a world where, I mean, it's complex, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I love my various identities, but it also leads to different biases. And mm-hmm. uh, that is, you know, that's a part of our healing journey, but it's a part of the advocacy journey. And it's a part mm-hmm. of how um, we support different survivors yeah yeah no that is so so important and anybody who's listening to this and would like to learn a little bit more about how there is an intersection of you know different 
pieces of oppression that can go into abuse. Um, Alexis Douglas is doing our series once a month and talking about these concepts. And so you can definitely check out our back episodes and we'll have another one up in a few weeks. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for bringing that forward for us. Um, such an important word for people to, to understand and, um, a space to grow in for white folks like myself. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I would love for our audience to be able to get to know you and your work a bit more. Um, how can they follow you? How can they read your articles, see what you're about, all the things? Yeah. Well, you know, as in our digital age, you can find me <laughs> online. Um, social media, of course. Um, my handle for Twitter, Facebook, Instagram is Elena Bueno. And you can find some of my work there, a little insight into my life and all the great causes and people that I champion. And then a lot of my work, the Faithfully Pro-Choice uh, Reproductive Rights Advocacy work, is found with the Ohio Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. And all of our work, uh, our blog, our podcast, and advocacy can be found at ohiorcrc.org. So, I mean, those are some of the main spaces and, you know, Google is our friend. (laughs) (laughs) If you have any questions, um, I love meeting and working with a lot of different groups. And so, yeah, Mm -hmm. as you noted, Ashley, I work with sometimes red letter Christians. I'm on their board Mm -hmm. and uh, was a former interim executive director and editor. So do a lot of work with them and uh, a lot of work in ohio so yes uh, the midwest (laughs) (laughs) awesome hey well thank you so much for sharing that everybody definitely check out elena's uh social media and websites you can check her out at thank you so much for being here today this is really valuable information i know i learned a lot and um i know our audience was um just eating up everything you're saying. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And everybody make sure you also follow courage 365 on all our social media platforms. We've got Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. You can find us on all of those places there. And um, you can also pop on over to our website, courage365.org. And just for visiting our website, you can download our free ebook, Five Keys to Living a Life of Courage. It's a book to help you take your next most courageous steps in your survivor journey. Uh, We also have a couple of other exciting things that we've introduced to Courage 365 recently. For one, you can watch all the back episodes of Uh, the Courage Conversation Show, either on our website or on YouTube, but we've also just put them in podcast format, so you can search for that wherever you get your podcasts and listen to them in that format. We have our Need Help tab on our website if you are in a situation where you like support. Uh, We've got hotlines, supportive blogs, and websites, but of course, if you know or suspect child abuse, if you're in imminent danger, please do reach out to the authorities. So everybody, thank you so much for tuning in, and as always, live with courage.